I just don't understand how you inspire your workforce who you need to make your equity valuable by saying you're going to fire three quarters of the people who work there. Maybe some of them will be glad to get out of there. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, October 26th, and today Bill Cohan is here to discuss Elon Musk's apparent plans to lay off 75% of Twitter's employees in a bid to cut costs and make investors happy. But how can the company even function going forward with a completely gutted workforce? And later on, Eric Gardner is here to discuss Adidas dropping Kanye West after his anti-Semitic statements. Adidas is set to lose $1 billion in revenue from dissolving the partnership. And Eric is here to explain the potential legal fallout. We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode, Powers That Be. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan. Uh, Bill, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Always great to be here. Bill, I want to talk to you about Elon Musk and Twitter uh, and not just the usual Sturmundrang, but the leaked documents obtained by the Washington Post last week in which Elon is telling prospective investors that he plans to get rid of nearly 75% of Twitter's workforce. Uh, their current size is about 7,500 workers. That might be too many, <laughs> but cutting that many people would and could be catastrophic, not just for morale, for product, for safety. How does this place even function if they cut 75% of the workforce? But this is Elon Musk taking a big swing. What do you think about this? Is he actually going to follow through? I don't know whether it's sort of like a president at the start of his second administration when he asks everybody in his cabinet to give him their resignations and then he'll decide which ones to choose. But to say you're going to cut 75% of the workforce, whether you actually intend to go through with that or not, has got to be one of the worst telegraphing of your intentions that there could possibly be in terms of employee morale at this company. Uh, You know, usually the idea here, uh, Peter, uh, when people have invested $44 billion into a company, 31 billion of which is equity, the idea is to, to make the company a success, make the whole enterprise a success, make it more valuable not less valuable. The idea is to get everybody pulling in the same direction, everybody enthusiastically pulling in the same direction. This is going to be a nightmare scenario if, in fact, it turns out to be true. It's got to destroy morale. What do you do when three out of four people are going to lose their jobs? I mean, you can't even function, so people get paralyzed. What does it do to the EBITDA of the company? You know, it's already sort of bumbling along in a billion a year. As I wrote the other day, there's potentially this could save him 500 million, but does that make the EBITDA a billion five or were those 5,500 people or whatever they were who was going to fire, did they actually have a role in creating that billion dollars of EBITDA so that billion dollars of EBITDA kind of disappears and all he ends up with is 500 million 
of savings from not paying them? I don't know. But, you know, as we've discussed before, if he has a payment default, he could lose the company. The New York Times wrote that Twitter is pushing back on the idea that there are layoffs coming and they're saying, we have to wait till new ownership and what they actually say. It's almost like if they weren't already depressed about the regime change, like now there's just like gallows humor going on in the, in the slacks and in the, in the internal <laughs> company chats. But it also runs contrary to some of the big ideas for Twitter he's been putting out there the whole time. For example, getting rid of all the bots on the platform. You know, that requires content moderation. Whether you do the, that with contractors or full-time employees, that's an open question. He wants to create like an all-in-one super app. He called it X, you know? Like, how do you build all of these things by gutting the people who already know how the place works, but also just with like not that many heads? Like, if you don't have that many people around, you can't like accomplish all the things that you set out to do. But again, which you've pointed out repeatedly, like he can, he changes his mind not only every day, but it feels like every 20 minutes. In terms of, Sort of MA 101, of course, he hasn't done anything after April 25th by the book in terms of MA. Uh, I just don't understand how you inspire your workforce who you need to make your equity valuable by saying, and even before you close, you're going to fire three quarters of the people who work there. Maybe some of them will be glad to get out of there. I don't know. I'm sure that in Silicon Valley, engineers or whatever those people do there are still, you know, hot commodities, you know, maybe this will be the best thing that happened to them. I mean, if you look at, say, what happened to the bankers at Bear Stearns, for instance, you know, after Bear Stearns collapsed, it was bought by J.B. Morgan, but most of the bankers, you know, left. They were the first wave, the first big wave of layoffs and departures from Wall Street in what became a route, as we know, the financial crisis at the end of the year. And, and those people ended up actually turning out okay, getting decent jobs. So maybe Twitter being the first big wave of layoffs slash departures, uh, they'll come out okay. I mean, I work at a company, Snapchat, that just went through a difficult layoff, about 20% of the company. That's a lot of people. 75% is an enormous amount. Enormous. And there's lots of reporting on this right now. I don't know what everyone at Twitter does. A lot of tech companies since the market downturn have made cuts and low performers get managed out at companies. That's okay. Twitter might have too many staffers. That's okay. But setting out to just basically wipe the slate clean seems like not just difficult for morale. What does it mean for the user? If he gets rid of like engineers and product managers and content moderators, and maybe you replace people too, like that takes a long time to onboard and recruit people. It just seems like a, a recipe for disaster. And he will also be taking the company private. And so there won't be a lot of transparency necessarily about how all this stuff is going down to. Right. And he won't have to uh, make, you probably won't have to file any financial statements with the Securities and Exchange Commission because the bank's will hold his debt, at least for the time being, so there won't be enough debt holders uh, to require filings, uh, which happens in uh, uh, many private companies because they have public debt. You know, who knows what the PL is going to look like? Who knows uh, what he's uh, going to do? Uh, he doesn't have to tell anybody what he's going to do. That's the beauty of private uh, ownership. But of course, things will inevitably leak out because A, it's Twitter, and B, no, he'll have whatever, 17 or 18 
equity investors. Uh, he'll have, you know, a group of whatever it is, 10 or so banks uh, that will hold the debt, at least for the time being, and more over time uh, when they start to sell off the debt. And there'll still be a lot of employees there. There'll be a lot of ex-employees. He may want to try to keep all this quiet and work his magic quietly, but I'm thinking that there's going to be a lot of leaks in this boat as he tries to sail it off into the horizon. So we're perhaps coming to the beginning of the end, or the end of the beginning, shall I say, but we still got many more chapters in this to go. Maybe Twitter just goes away. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Like, remember Vine? Like, they bought, someone bought Vine and then just turned it off. The world went on. MySpace? <laughs> Quibi? I mean, you know, yeah. we're going to go on without it. Quibi. I mean, you know, in, in many ways, it would be a pretty good thing because, you know, it's kind of a, very unpleasant experience, right? Uh, for many people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if he brings Donald Trump back, I mean, good lord! I mean, that's really. I mean, the one good thing has been no Donald Trump on there for a couple of years. If he brings him back, as he said he would, that's really unpleasant. And you know, there could be some sort of poetic justice in him, you know, losing, uh, you know, forty-four billion dollars for this flight of fancy he took you know, last April when he decided to buy the company. Bill, I'll leave you with this. The Onion posted a story, a hard news story yesterday. um, And it said, the headline, Elon Musk to cut Twitter staff to single devoted hunchback who laughs hysterically at all of Boss's genius tweets. (laughs) That's uh, that about sums it up, Peter. Yeah, it does. All right, Bill, thank you so much for your insight. Thank you. Take care. When we come back, Eric Gardner is here to tell us why Adidas took so long to drop Kanye West. Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy, here with Eric Gardner to talk about Adidas, sort of belatedly ending its extremely lucrative partnership with Kanye West after he made a series of truly beyond-the-pale anti-Semitic remarks. But also, this is really only the latest in a series of provocations and gross behavior from Kanye that have put pressure on Adidas to drop him. Eric, I want to get into all the legal questions that arise here. First of all, what was the stated reason that Adidas actually gave? And what do you expect was the legal rationale behind the scenes in a situation like this? Sure. They were under a lot of pressure uh, to distance themselves. And I'm sure that they reviewed their contracts to figure out whether they, you know, what rights they had to terminate the partnership. Uh, A lot of times uh, corporations, when they have a, a, you know, a partnership or a big spokesperson, um, they have what's called a morals clause. Moore's Clause allows uh, the the brand to basically distance themselves in the event that the sponsor does something that puts them into disrepute. Now, Kanye West is a big enough star that I don't know whether or not the contracts had uh, a Moore's Clause, but it doesn't really matter because there's also something in, in law called frustration of purpose, which basically means that if someone does something that that makes the contract worthless and that the purpose of the contract can no longer be effectuated, that's another reason that you potentially could walk away. An example of this might be when Donald Trump uh, said things about deporting Mexicans and you saw Miss America try to walk away from him or NBC try to end its relationship with Donald Trump. The same thing after the insurrection, you saw the PGA Tour cancel everything on Trump golf courses, and that went to arbitration too. 
this thing is common. A lot of brands do a lot to protect themselves. In this instance, this was a high stakes partnership. We, we now know that, you know, the loss of Kanye West is going to cost Adidas something like $250 million. So I'm sure that they took their time, spent a few days on it and, and to try to figure this all out. I just want to underline that because it really is incredible. For listeners who don't know, and I assume everyone knows who Kanye West is, but obviously a supremely talented musician and artist, but also a fashion entrepreneur who entered into this partnership with Adidas, among other brands, a number of years ago. That deal generated something like a billion dollars in revenue, 250 in profit, as you said. You really can't overstate how lucrative this was for both parties. But Adidas, among other things, is a German company whose founder, I believe, had ties to the Nazi party. So uh, during World War II, the modern German government and German companies are extremely sensitive to this stuff around anti-Semitism. So if anything, this break had me wondering what actually took them so long to dump him. There are a couple of things. When I look at the statement, it's, it's really unusual. I mean, I, I've seen statements from companies that distance themselves from, you know, someone they're doing business with. Um, but here Adidas not only says, okay, uh, we can't tolerate anti-Semitism. They, you know, pinpoint exactly how much money this is going to cost them. And then they say, but we own all the designs. So this points to me to a couple of things. One, they had some concerns about, you know, how shareholders might react to, to this whole this situation. There's enough money at stake that it points to the fact that there could be securities implications to this entire fiasco. And second of all, the fact that they're saying that they own designs, I don't think anyone was questioning whether they would or wouldn't. So it's it's really interesting that that they're putting this out there right now. If anything, I think that there could be a dispute that now goes on in the future about, you know, who actually owns, you know, designs to the to these shoes. And I think Adidas is is putting the marker in the sand right here, uh, you know, starting the clock to tick for Kanye to actually like get to court on, on this whole thing. If anything, we're not going to see any litigation over, you know, you know, whether there was a moral clause and, and all that, we're going to see, you know, maybe a lawsuit over intellectual property, who owns the assets for the partnership. But uh, yeah, I think uh, that's what was front of mind for Adidas these last, you know, week when they were reviewing this whole situation. This was a big business partnership for them. And it wasn't just so easy for them to, you know, cancel it. They had to run through lots of different things from what was in the contract to how shareholders would react to what it is that they might own post partnership. I don't think this is going to be the end of it by any stretch of the imagination. I wanted to ask you as well about if there could be additional legal fallout from the separation of these two parties. Obviously, this was a partnership as opposed to an employment contract, but it did bring to mind for me a parallel with the firing of Chris Cuomo at CNN who was ostensibly kicked to the curb because he had violated the ethics rules at CNN by offering advice to his brother, then Governor Andrew Cuomo, about the sex scandal that he was in the midst of. Lawyers for Chris Cuomo then turned things around on CNN and essentially accused the network of hypocrisy. They said, look, you were coordinating with Governor Cuomo as well at the height of the COVID pandemic. There were lots of communications going on here that bent the rules. Obviously, very different situations here. But I wonder if Adidas has opened itself up to charges of hypocrisy as well, in that they overlooked so many other instances of gross behavior from Kanye in the past. I mean, his harassment of his then wife, Kim Kardashian, his 2018 comments about slavery, 
a lot of things that might have been beyond the pale. So why this instance now? And does that potentially open Adidas up to any kind of counterclaim from Kanye? Yeah, possibly. I mean, again, it all depends what's in the contract. And if the, if the contract does have a morals clause, uh, there could be a dispute over whether that was actually violated. I covered a case a few years ago after Tavis Smiley was fired by PBS. And PBS uh, said that he violated the morals clause by having a relationship with an underling. And then uh, Tavis Smiley came back and said, well, how could that really bring PBS into disrepute when the network was, you know, airing all these other stars who were under, you know, sexual misconduct scandals? So, yeah, it will become, you know, a morals test about, you know, Adidas doing business with others and, you know, having being a hypocritical business partner. Honestly, I'm not sure whether or not that's where this dispute's going to go. I do think that if there's anything that's going to end up in court, it could be who owns the rights to this, these lucrative shoes. Over the last week, one of the more entertaining stories was Kanye saying how Quentin Tarantino had stolen his idea for a Django Unchained from a pitch that he did for a music video. And we laugh at that and that's funny, but you know, people are pretty sensitive about, you know, their ideas and protecting their own intellectual property. I know that Adidas is saying right now that, you know, it owns these designs. I don't know whether Kanye agrees. And there was also a, a story over the past week about, you know, how he w- had hired Johnny Depp's lawyer for business reasons. I wouldn't be surprised if he was eyeing these lawyers for that particular reason to protect his own uh, intellectual property coming out of this business relationship. I think that's uh, the key thing to watch going forward. I don't know whether Kanye will be able to attract a good lawyer anymore because he's uh, certainly like burning bridges and a lot of people want to disassociate himself from him right now. So that's another thing to watch. Eric, thanks for stopping by to explain it. It's a fascinating story and we'll see what happens. I'll uh, keep you posted. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 